Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Borussia Dortmund have won the European Cup winners' cup. You can feel the passion, the emotion. And Dortmund against all the odds are European champions. Welcome to Believe in Borussia. My name is Thilo. Welcome to episode number 15 and thank you for tuning in. First of all, apologies for the slight delay with this episode, but we will make it up to you with a fantastic guest appearance that we have. Alexis Guerreros, stand-up comedian and part of the Cooligans, which should be a household name to any educated US soccer fan due to their show on FUBU TV and various media endeavors around soccer. Probably one of the most fun conversations I've ever had. My guy is funny as hell. He knows his soccer stuff. He's a big Arsenal fan. And we talked about anything from how do you go from being a kid in Newark to becoming a comedian and then getting your own soccer show to who won the deal on Obama Young, BBB or Arsenal? But before we get to that, just a few quick updates. Um, away goals have been abolished, yeah. So it seems that it's especially good for any team that has the last home game in a knockout tie, especially with a potential extra time looming. So winning the group now will become even more crucial in the Champions League. In other news, Borussia Dortmund has added public transportation for the whole state of North Rhine-Westphalia for fans buying a ticket to a game which is great if you're in the area even if you don't live there let's say you fly to Dortmund and you stay in Cologne or you stay in Dusseldorf which is where the big airports are you can now with your ticket take the public transportation which is decent and also includes the regional trains which are rather fast to go to a game in Dortmund and skip paying an arm and a leg for a cab or even just dealing with the hassle of trying to figure out in which zone you are and what your ticket would cost so that's a great great addition to all fans that are living close but haven't lived close enough to be within the immediate proximity that was covered under the ticket so now you can come from either further away and take public transport which is probably great um, for traffic and cars because if you've ever been to a game and you ever try to get in and out of parking at Dortmund it's a bit of a crap show so better for um, fans better for the environment all around win and great initiative last but certainly not least there are some major changes at the BVB top level Sebastian Kale will follow in the footsteps of Michael Zorg, who will step down at the club after 43 years serving it as a player and official in various roles. What a career. And the writing has been on the wall. Kale, the former BVB captain and German champion as a player, has been with the club for quite some time now and, and was quite obviously groomed to take on an even larger role in the club. We will have to see whether he can hold his own. But considering that Michael Zorg also basically got tossed into the deep end in, what was it, 1998, and then had to learn the business and the trades by himself and eventually did just fine, um, I will give the benefit of the doubt and hope that keeping someone that is close to Dortmund and actually a rather smart person from what you can hear in interviews and such, um, giving him a shot, being a good decision and continuing the upward trajectory of the club. And joining him in the top ranks will be Eden Terzic, who prolonged his contract until 2025 and got promoted to technical director. So instead of him joining the coaching staff under uh, Marco Rose, Terzic will now become technical director and operate at the intersection of the pro teams, the youth teams and scouting and will work very closely with Michael Zorg and then Kehl and Hans-Joachim Watzke on all matters pertaining to players, scouting and the club in itself. So another proper Dortmund lad will take over more responsibility in managing the club. Now before I get into it with Alexis, I just want to remind you that our sponsor Bet Online still has all the action for you from basketball playoffs to hockey playoffs to baseball to the Euros. 
They got prop bets, they got futures, all the latest odds, news and information for all your online sport betting needs. So visit the website today or use your mobile device to join and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. So before the next kickoff, tip-off, face-off, pitch, head on over to BetOnline and start playing today. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. I'm very happy to welcome today Alexis with us who's half of the Cooligans, to his liking, probably the better half. <laughs> <laughs> the gulliest crew of soccer commentators that you'll ever know. And an all-around great guy, pizza connoisseur, and Arsenal fan. I'm happy he's on because I think this will be probably the funniest show that we've ever had. So I'm looking forward to that. No pressure. Thanks for having me on. <laughs> Easy, yeah. So thanks for coming on and discussing with me in how many ways Borussia Dortmund is better than Arsenal right now. Yeah, yeah. That was the plan. Uh, luckily, I didn't even need to write it down. I already have that list in my head. <laughs> <laughs> no, obviously. Uh, I do want to speak about Dortmund and Arsenal later, but maybe for people that don't know you, which is a shame, but I heard there's people out there that still don't know you and the Cooligans. Who maybe can... are they? Probably related to me, to be honest with you. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's always the ones that are close that are sort of like not getting it. But yeah. um, well, maybe you can take us back to Newark and, and how you even got into soccer. Yeah, it's, um you know, Newark is uh, like a wildly multicultural city. A lot of uh, Brazilians, a lot of Portuguese. Uh, at that time, a lot more Spaniards who were kind of just like leaving the neighborhood as the Brazilians and the Portuguese moved in. And um Dude, I grew up around a lot of Trini, a lot of Jamaicans, a lot of Grenadians. Uh, it's just like a wildly Caribbean. The majority of the folks in my neighborhood were Puerto Rican and Dominican. So, like, obviously, baseball was huge. Roberto Clemente had a league there. He, he was a famous uh, player for the uh, Pittsburgh Pirates. So there's uh, there were so many reasons to to just sort of fall in love with just, like, baseball. Uh, but everyone around me cared about soccer. And it was also at that time that, like, FIFA was like like really popular and like you wanted to play the game and my friends all like my friends who were Brazilian all had like these cool shirts little soccer jerseys that like you know a Yankee jersey is just a Yankee jersey you know what I mean uh so like there's there's so much more to it so like it became like this cool thing and I remember there's uh there's a team called Five Corners which was like the number one I don't know I guess it would be like considered like a travel team I didn't know what it was it was just like this is the team you needed to be a part of Uh, and I was like, I'll try out. And I knew nothing about the sport. And I was like, you know, I threw the ball in with one hand because it's like baseball. And they're like, you got to use two. And I'm like, well, that seems dumb. Like, obviously, I didn't make the team. But that sort of began my love affair with the sport. And like, everyone just talked about it. It just seemed normal to be a soccer fan. Like, I didn't realize outside of Newark or outside of these small pockets around the country, like no one really talked about it. Um, and then little by little, you know, just uh, hanging like my friends would meet at this bar because uh, they let us like use the bathroom it was in between where we lived they would let us like they give us water and stuff uh and there was like all these firefighters in there during the day just like hanging out and they'd be watching soccer sometimes because it was on um and i just sort of they would make fun of us i would make fun of them and they were all manchester united fans and i was like who's the other team and they said arsenal i was like all right i'm a fan of arsenal and then it stuck and then they became amazing so like there was a, a good reason to to continue following and like i didn't realize it was a big deal like i never really said like I'm a soccer fan. I never made it like my brand because it was always like, yeah, I'm also a fan of soccer until I realized probably around high school that like these other kids don't like the sport. I'm like, it's just me and like some of the other Latinos and like any immigrants who were coming in. So um, I'm glad that as I sort of got older, like it became much more, much bigger. And it, now it's a massive part of my life, which I'm, I couldn't be happier about. Yeah. How do you go from, hanging out with the neighborhood immigrants playing soccer to having your own TV show. I think that part is probably a bridge that not a lot of people walk. Yeah. 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 I think overnight, overnight success. Uh, no, I think, you know, <laughs> to, long story short, I think when you do stand up, I'm a stand up comic, obviously for 12 years, for those of you who don't know, professional perform every night I go, I travel around the country, um, and Europe when they allow us back in, um, When you perform stand-up, you kind of only work at night. Like, there's nothing else to do during the day. Like, I mean, if you're my wife, you're like, no, I put a list out. There's stuff to do. Uh, but, for, <laughs> but in all reality, you don't really know what to kind of do with yourself, especially when you're at that point where you're not exactly starting out. So maybe you don't have, like, a part-time job or something. Like, you're kind of making enough money to pay rent. 
but you're not at the point where you sort of have like a developed, uh, you know, brand, right? So I had this agent who was like, what are you known for? And I was, it was just random conversation that we were having while getting coffee. And I was like, what do you mean? What am I known for? I'm a, I'm a funny comedian. He's like, every comedian is funny or else you don't stay as a comic, right? Like, what are you known for? And I'm like, I don't know how to answer that. And he was like, if a comic were to call you other than something that happened in stand-up comedy, why would they be reaching out? What is the thing that happened that they said like, Oh, I need to tell Alexis about this, or I need to text Alexis about this, or I'll ask Alexis. And I was like, ah, probably pizza or soccer, right? Like that's the two things I'm like, I'm recognized as he's like, that's who you are. He's like, so you perform every night from seven to midnight. From midnight to seven, you sleep, you eat, and you do something to be more known in food and in soccer. And I was like, okay. So I kind of, you know, it took like a couple of months of me thinking like, what could I do? The easiest answer was like a podcast. I was like, well, I've done podcasts before. I'm a comedian. I talk for a living. I was like, so let me figure out. So I like started talking to people about possibly doing a podcast. I started getting coffee or like beers with some people. And I'm like, oh, this guy's got no personality. This dude's a weirdo. Uh, this lady is going to, you know, is, is going to scream in my ear the whole time. Like, you know, just like trying to figure out who's the best balance and kind of like let it go. I actually almost started the podcast and got the name Cooligans with this other comic who ended up getting a writing job at Comedy Central. So I was like, all right, well, he can't do it anymore. And we were literally about to start. So I kind of told him, I'm like, look, I'm going to look for somebody else. And then NYCFC started. And I knew Christian Polanco, who was a comic. I knew he was into going to soccer games. So I hit him up and I was like, yo, it's only $300 for season tickets. And just standing next to each other in the supporter section, we just started like, you know, doing what comics do. Just started kind of like busting chops and making fun of the sport that was happening in front of us. From a place of love, you know? Yeah. And uh, people around us were like, yo, these guys are funny. Like, I remember one guy was like, yo, come stand next to these guys. They're really funny. They were funny last game. And I was like, oh, my God, this is it. This is it. So we started the podcast. And I'm one of those people that, like, you know, once you let me in, like, I'm not I'm not going to go away quietly, you know? <laughs> uh, once I said, like, all right, we're going to do something in soccer, I was like, I need to start communicating with people in soccer. And I need to start letting people know we're here. And do little by little, we just sort of, like, etched away at this because the business didn't really want us we weren't former players we weren't you know and like american soccer players don't make any money so like they always saw like a lot of them see media as like the next step and i think a lot of them saw us as sort of stepping on that potential money that they could have made yeah so little by little like people started realizing they're not going away and like you know we snuck into like vip parties at mls cup like we did whatever we literally like we were close to getting arrested multiple times like whatever we needed to do to sort of be known in this business, we kind of did. And then eventually, you know, we got um, through like conversations and my agent was reaching out to people and saying like, I don't know, man, he's really interested in the soccer thing. Does anyone know anything to do with these people? And little by little, you know, networks and stuff started kind of hearing about who we were. And yeah, we got a TV offer in 2018. And we were like, what? <laughs> you know, like, do you know, have you seen us? You know, like, <laughs> I thought we would get like, maybe like pushed on a big youtube channel or something i never thought we'd end up on tv that was it was wild to me and I, you know it's so weird because like people are like what you know what should i do i want to start a podcast i'm like dude just start it you know and tell everyone you know that it's what you want to do and that you want to be you want to do more because eventually a tv network is going to come <laughs> you know what i mean that's that's my plan it worked for me well that's good to know you know i'm just going to keep on churning them out too until eventually on the tv network yeah the dortmund tv network of course you know i can totally see bbb linear tv on in the states totally yeah, happening it'll happen <laughs> well first of all um kudos to your manager that's some yoda like zen shit you know coming out there isn't like what are you known for yeah dig deeper um i really dig that though i mean that's, i've had that conversation cool. with other comics and it's it's frozen some people like it's it stopped one guy from doing stand-up for like four months because he went into this spiral of like, what, what am I known for? Yeah. Yeah. It could be, it could be a lot. It could lead to a lot of introspection, but it could also be too much. Yeah. Like luckily I had an answer, you know? Yeah. Because you already had it. And I mean, I love the fact that you basically got it off the ground in the stands. I mean, shoot, there's probably not a better, more authentic birthplace, you know, for, for, passion around soccer and i mean at the end of the day you know like you said you come you know it came from the heart then the stand you know live soccer games so yeah. um so that's really great actually i don't think i was aware i know i know i've seen you guys i ran into you guys a bunch of times at the stadium but 
I didn't know you basically started it right there. That's very yeah, cool. Absolutely. Awesome. Um, switching gears a little, um, for me, you know, uh, there are many things that tie Arsenal and Dortmund actually together. Um, and I mean, you might be like, oh, how, how the hell? I mean, you know, we had a few transfers and stuff. Of but, course. Um, it's like, it's a bit of a measuring stick because uh, you may recall we crossed swords in, in 2011 in the Champions League for the first time in a while. And Arsenal back then was part still of the big four, you know. And, and All right. I mean, we're technically still, even though we haven't been there in forever. <laughs> But, you know, like there was no big six talk. It was a different sort of like timeline, you know. Yeah, 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 City yeah. wasn't there. Like Arsenal was like, people were like, why aren't we winning the championship, you know? Yeah. Versus like, why are we not getting into the Champions League? So it was a different animal back then, you know. For like, sure. And then and Dortmund just first time back in the Champions League for what seemed decades. So it was the, it, for me, it was the biggest ticket, which is why I went to both of the games, the home and away game, because I was like, Screw this. I don't even know when Dortmund's going to be back in the Champions League again. I'm not missing out on, you know, the chance of going to London. So I remember like we the... handed the baton over. huh? <laughs> well, <laughs> well, as soon as we bought Rosicki, everything changed. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, well, I keep... that's, actually, that's actually a good point, because I think when that happened, no one in CI even forgot about it in the sense that it was it was just sort of like natural because we were needing money. We weren't playing international anymore. He was just too good of a player to just mm -hmm. be playing mid-table Germany or something like that, you know, at the time. Yeah. So I think I think even the most hardcore Dortmund fan at that point was like, Thomas, thank you for the championship. Thank you for the good times. Farewell, buddy. Make the best of the rest of your career. You know, like it's yeah. not your fault that, you know, the management screwed up and almost bankrupt with the team. Like, you know, you you did your thing. Like we we love you, buddy. Yeah, we can't hold you back from greener pastures. Now, no one yeah. would ever make that switch. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Not oh, <laughs> I don't know. well, but it, but yes, it, it's it's a good point, as in like in terms of the transgression, because like I said, when I came there, it was like, yeah, man, finally, like the smell of big games, you know. And we actually, I think the first was a tie, and then the, the second one we lost. And I, I think I'm still an Arsenal rep member because I had to had to get a ticket at arsenal and you had to sign up to be a member yeah you have to be like the red member or something just to be able yeah. to even go to the stadium yeah i don't know if you knew but but arsenal was a little surprised that dortmund or germany fans travel so they were caught a little bit aback when they've realized like two weeks after they put the tickets on sale that eventually their uh their german fans apparently spiked to yeah. unknown heights <laughs> yeah. We seem to be having a lot of fans in this uh, small town in Germany. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I realized it too late. It was it was funny. And then there was so much jizz going around like, oh, can we wear a scarf or our shirt in the neutral sections? Or are they going to kick us out and blah, 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 blah. And yeah, at the end of the day, um, it was just a big takeover party, which was fun, even though we lost. Um, yeah. <laughs> but that wasn't, you know, that wasn't what wasn't about. It was like showing showing up again. Do you even remember those games? Probably I mean, back then, like, oh, Dortmund, whatever. I'm one of those people that, like, as soon as a match happens, I almost completely forget about it, you know? <laughs> I just, I, it's so funny, man. I have friends that are like, remember remember that 2-0 versus Southampton in 2016? I'm like, no! You know? <laughs> no, not even close. I remember goals. I remember things like that. And I watch soccer 24-7 practically. And I just cannot, for the life of me, I just have too many things going on. I think, like, my comedy brain is, like, my jokes are the priority. And even then, sometimes... I'll I'll rewatch this set because I film or audio like I have my my lav right here like I'll audio record myself or I'll film myself most of the time I would say ninety percent of my uh, of my sets I film um, and I'll go back like six months and I'm like I don't even remember telling these jokes like I don't remember <laughs> I stopped telling like three or four jokes because you know the way your brain works as a comic is like you perform so much you start to chip away at the ones that don't. Like, any words that don't matter, you lose. Like, you know, get to the joke, get to the end of the joke faster, faster, faster. Word economy. Sometimes I just cut out complete jokes, and I'm like, I can still use that. What am I doing? I had one bad set, you know? So, like, I definitely don't remember all these games, especially not champion. I remember, like, when we lose Champions League, I remember the anger I feel towards the team, but I don't remember, like, who scored. That stuff's too tough for me. Yeah. No, I hear, actually. I mean, and maybe that's the answer, because, you know, when you consume so many games... Yeah, they kind of blur into each other, you know. Yeah, and um, also, I think it's the only way to be an Arsenal fan is to forget most <laughs> of the games. <laughs> you think that's a that's a requisite for being an Arsenal fan? Yeah, doesn't the human brain block out most trauma anyway? So that's yeah. I think why I forget most Arsenal games. No, that's a um, that's a very dark tone on this. Um, 
But when do you think that happened for you guys? Like, I, you know, I mean, it's obvious to say like towards the end of um, Banger's uh, run, but I personally think, I think it was around that time. A lot of people now want to say that it was like when Thierry Henry left, like selling Thierry or whatever, letting Thierry Henry leave um, sort of started this idea of like, we're not the same, but to me, it's closer to, you know, maybe when Wilshire and Fabregas kind of really didn't work out and maybe getting the new stadium and deciding to pay off the stadium as quickly as we did and not carry that debt and allow, you know, if you look back at that time, we had like net positive transfers. Like we were constantly making more money. We were selling players and more than we were bringing in players, which look at the end of the day, I get that, you know, football is a business and I understand that, but you know, if you want to be in the top four, as as you stated, which we used to be regularly, you need to you need to spend more than what you're making, or at least even like you can't be pocketing profit off of uh, player transfers or use that money to develop. I think now we're starting to see the fruits of some of those development labors. But yeah, when the when we started paying off the stadium, I was like, "Yo, come on, <laughs> you know, like who cares? Carry the debt." I did for ten years, you know. <laughs> you can't do it for five. <laughs> you know, and I think little by little, we just slipped away. Like, I remember finishing second to Lester. I looked at a friend of mine. I was like, yo, this is going, we're going to feel this for a few years. Like, we're not going to be back. We're not going to get him next year. Like, this this might be the end of that run. And it kind of looks like it has been. Well, but to be fair, you still did better when you were, like, a net spender and, and made money off of transfers than now, where you actually spend a lot of money on players and have even less returns. So, I mean, I hear what you're saying, but I think... I think that's also an example of the rest of the league getting so much better. I was just about to say that. Yeah, like, it's not just... You, you're not in a vacuum. Other people also do things. Spend yeah. money, develop, you know, tactics or whatever. Um, but both have moved in, in different directions where, you know, some of the others have upped the ante. Yeah, no. for sure. And that's kind of the thing. Like, that's the one thing that I think is so frustrating about, like, Americans, when they start to get into soccer, it's like you realize, like, you kind of have to, you know, what's it? Um, there's a there's an American, uh, like, a colloquial term, like, keeping up with the Joneses. Yeah. Like, you have to, if you're currently spending X amount and that brings you to the fourth, if someone, like, let's say a city pops up and starts spending more, like, nah, bro, you need to match that or you need to, like, find a way to be smarter and, like, Lester. Lester was like, no, 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 we're going to go and hopefully find a bunch of diamonds in the rough and it happened to work for them. And they're going to develop a style that fits for exactly all of them. Or you go like United and say like, yo, we're going to spend three times as much as y'all and hope that we hit. Like you have to find a way to match up with what they're doing. It's not, it's not enough to say like, we're going to continue to be the same. I actually think that's a little bit of what Dortmund is going through now is like, you know, we're going to continue to be this team that develops youth and sells them for a lot of money. It's like, at some point, someone's going to have to ask the question, like what y'all doing with all this money though? You know what I mean? Like, like, what, are you going to start buying bigger name players like you obviously you can't keep a Holland, you can't keep a Sancho, right? But like, what are you going to do with that money when they come in? Are you going to give Gio Reyna pieces around them, or are you going to continue to develop these players, just make this ton of money, and just continue to be that system? You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, we actually haven't, and that's actually you know a funny point because that's sort of like uh, the the rep that Dortmund gets here in the states because it comes through usually the Anglo you know pundit filter, but. We haven't, Dortmund hasn't sold a player that they really needed uh, since 2017, which was Dembele. But that's five years ago. And after that, we actually spent more than we took in on transfers. So that whole story of like, um, you know, we're just churning through players to yeah, make some money. Yeah, and I money. don't think that that's exactly, I mean, of course, that's how it's sold because everyone's like, well, Bayern yeah. is the team that spends and Dortmund is the team that sells. But I think in the end, it's like, do you think... Like, look, do you I think, think Dortmund will ever get to the point where they're buying players that are are the names that like Bayern would be going after? Yes, but we have to still do it probably at a point earlier than Bayern would maybe. Actually, it's not right. You have to take a bigger chance that this player develops into that, even yeah. if it's like a year or two out. But you know what? That's not even accurate because Bayern is not really a buying club either. Like Bayern does not spend big on transfers. That's not how they operate. They spend big on wages. And if you know a little bit about soccer, you know that p teams that are successful aren't the ones that burn a lot of money on transfer fees. The top teams stay up there because they pay the players a lot of money. Because right. that's how it works. The best talent goes to where it gets the most money. The players don't get 
part of the transfer fees. Yes, they get cuts of it and, and whatever and the agents and stuff like that. But sure. at the end of the day, how Bayern stays competitive is if they get players that are really good, they pay them, you know, competitive wages so they don't leave. They, right. Bayern hasn't spent big bucks. Like 80 million is the most they spent ever. That was on Hernandez. And then the next one is Sané, which heckled City down to 50 million. I mean, you guys just bought, I don't know, some English dude for 50 million whose qualification is being English and, yeah, young. Are you kidding me? That's the Premier League curve, like the Premier League price curve. I, I, to me, it frustrates the hell out of me. You know, uh, Nicola Pepe, and I think we found out that that agent was uh, not agent, that, that, um, that person in our front office, I can't remember his name. Um, I believe it was Raul. Um, he was scamming us, but... You know, Saliba was quite a bit of money. He's in 19-year-old center back at the time, which, you know, who starts a 19-year-old at center back, right? Uh, Nicola Pepe was $72 million, if I'm not mistaken. And, you know, that's a player that at that time I don't think was proven to be yeah. a 72. I mean, I think he's a great player, and I'm happy to have him, but I do think we overpaid for him. And then we also sell at, at a lot. We haven't sold a, a player for a profit, I think, since 2016. So, like, you know, we, you know, this idea that, like, Arsenal used to be kind of a little bit in that Dortmund thing where they're like, oh, but they also develop great players. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah. oh, their youth system. It's like, well, we haven't really done that in a minute. You know what I mean? We've been selling young players for, like, 20 and, and, and 25 million, but we haven't, like, built a star. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Um, or at least built a star to the point where we sell them. Uh, so, yeah, I agree with you. And actually, one of the things that really, I think, was really intriguing when we were at Bayern um when we did the uh well we were at uh we were in Eintracht but the Bayern guys were there and um uh the head of Bayern at the time said something about the Coutinho deal he's like you know the Coutinho deal was a great deal for us he said it was a uh, one it's a loan he's like the loan fee was pretty inexpensive he's like but also he had more Instagram followers than we do as a club and it's like oh yeah <laughs> yeah, soccer. Like this idea that like you know, the English fans are like soccer is about the ninety minutes and it's a football. It's the ninety minutes. Like, bruh, we're past that. Like when you consider one of the pros of signing a player, their Instagram following. Like we've moved on. You know, the business has moved on from what happens just in those ninety minutes on the field. And that's you know to my point again. Like again, it's a loan. You know, Bayern doesn't spend big on yeah. players, and they don't commit to players unless they're sure they perform, like a Lewandowski, a Kimmich, a Müller, a Neuer, and then they pay them big bucks, and that's how they can stay you know afloat up there. That's their thing. So for Dortmund, it will never probably be a matter of like, can we make the same transfers as Bayern can? Yes, they they might have more money here and there to spend, but it's more a matter of like, can we become as attractive to players as Bayern is? And then start paying wages, you know, that makes it less easy to poke players away. Because one of the reasons it was so easy for, for, for teams to walk into Dortmund 10 years ago um, was, yeah, because we weren't paying competitive wages at that sense, you know. Right. Uh, without even knowing what we paid any given player, a team from the Premier League or Bayern was, could probably say, like, bro, we're going to quadruple your money. It's not even going to make a dent in our budget, you know, because right. you, you probably get four or five million. Now, like a Haaland, he gets like, what, 11, 12 or something, probably a couple of bony. Now, that starts to hurt a little if you want to quadruple that, you know, like Bayern. Yes. Even doubling that amount would make Haaland probably top earner at Bayern. And Bayern probably would not be willing to risk their hierarchy right now for a player who hasn't played with the club and hasn't shown that he can also work there, for example. So, you know, the risk aversion. And that's, that's basically the growth of Dortmund. That brings us back to what you were saying in terms of like other teams develop i think for me it's like i look at what dortmund can do within their own field and if they're doing a decent job there and if you look right. over those 10 years it's like yeah in that season when we played arsenal first uh i think our personal personal budget was 50 million and that includes actually all personal costs and the turnover revenue was like maybe 150 180 we spent 210 million last year on players so wow. that's five times more than we paid 10 years ago so in that sense, yes, we've become a lot more competitive and it's become a lot harder to poke players away. I think the pool of, you know, teams that come that are actually in the running for our top guys isn't even Bayern anymore because a guy like Haaland or Sancho, like Sancho doesn't want to go to Bayern. Of course not. Like, no, they, they want out of Bundesliga if they're going to do anything. They're going to go Real Madrid, yeah. PSG, City. I think yeah. also what you're saying is so interesting for MLS. It's like, you know, the argument... I think the argument is gone about whether there's talent in MLS. I think you're seeing it 
You know, you got guys like, uh, you know, Ryan Reynolds, who, uh, Brian Reynolds, who plays one game. Yeah, Ryan Reynolds would be a bad purchase uh, by Roma. But uh, Brian Reynolds plays one match, and he gets bought by Roma. Like, you know, there's talent already being scouted at the lowest levels, and these players are going, and clearly there's a lot of talent in the American system. The problem is, is the league doesn't pay its players, uh, uh, you know, even a comparable wage. Yeah. You know, there's players in League One in England that make more money than MLS players, and that's that just that third division players in England shouldn't be making more money than the top flight in America. You know what I mean? Because like at the end of the day, American soccer is what it is. It's young. It's a, it's not a, it's not at the same point as England, but America is a relatively rich country. You know, sponsorships and whatnot. Yeah. Like it, it, that shouldn't be the case. And I know the money has gotten better, but you know, starting at seventy is a little different than starting at like a hundred and fifty. If yeah. you say to someone like, "Yo, you won't." You'll be in the third division, but you'll be making one hundred fifty thousand dollars a year. That's double. I mean, that's double what you're making in America. That you have family, you have, you know, you have college loans like we have here. If they didn't go to college for, um, you know, for sports, which most of them probably have, there maybe your family doesn't live in the best situation. You're gonna want to move. So I, I think what you're saying is the same. Yeah, who cares what you buy a player for, but what you pay them? Ah, that's where you start to make a change. And that's where the players also look, you know, and that's where it makes it harder to move them. So at the end of the day, that's kind of like yeah, where it's at. Like I, I was reading soccer economics again, um, and I think they again. Oh, I haven't read it once. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, it, it's so full of stuff, so that you know you read it once, and it's 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 a little bit like the games. You like you read the whole book and you look at it like, uh, what did I just do? So, right. but they have a whole chapter I think devoted at that thing where it's like big clubs that are successful are successful because they spend their money on wages and not on transfer fees because transfer fees is not a good investment. And I remember that so vividly because I was like, hmm, that's kind of like what Bayern does. Fuck, they're smart. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so yeah. They're also and, very German, you know, like when, yeah. when you talk to them, like they explain something, there's like a title for the, for the process of what they're doing. There's like a psychological reason for everything they do. It's so intriguing. Like I remember I met with that, um, I'm going to mess up his name. Uh, a Steel, the guy who was at um, uh, at Dusseldorf and he's now at uh, St. Louis. Oh, Pfannenstiel. Pfannenstiel. I was yes. close. Yeah, was that close. was pretty. Right? Come on now. Um, I remember talking to him and he's wildly intelligent, but there's a sense that when he speaks, it's like there's when he does something, it's based on somewhat of his intuition. There's like a little bit of a hunch with what he's doing. Yeah. Everyone else we spoke to in Germany was like, Hunch. No, 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 no. We have a process that we follow here. And like Byron was very like, this is why we made these decisions. And it just seems like there's a lot of spreadsheets. You know what I mean? In Germany, there's a lot of, a lot of Excel spreadsheets. But it's, uh, I mean, Bayern is a bit of a, you know, uh, a breed of their own in a sense. And that's, that's culturally, I mean, I always try to explain to Americans, Bayern to Germany is what, what Texas is to the United States. Ah. Like, like, I don't think they consider themselves even like solely German. Like you, you, you cross from Austria into Germany. And the first thing you see is like, welcome to Bavaria, not welcome to Germany. So it's yeah, like, I get it. it's, it's our version of the Lone Star State. It's even the, when it comes to the cliches, you know, you, you go abroad as an American and like, oh, cowboys and barbecue or whatever. And you're like, you're bro, I'm, I'm, I'm Newark. Ain't no cowboys in Newark, you know? Yeah. Like, that's like, I, I mean, Newark is the same way in Jersey. Like people are like, you from Jersey? I'm like, technically, but I'm from Newark, you know? Yeah. <laughs> like it's a little different, you know? So yeah, when I go somewhere and they're like, oh, here, beer and pretzels. I'm like, bro, I don't even, I, I don't remember having a pretzel in Germany, like ever. Like, that's, yeah. <laughs> like I'm from Berlin. Like we have kebab and I don't know. Donors, Donner, donor, donor. Donor, yeah. Donor, yeah. Yo, those are, it's one of the best sandwiches in the world right there. It is. It is. Uh, I'll, I'll have someone go back. Anyway, I think we're drifting off a little here, but but yeah. you, you get my point. So so Bayern and then obviously in terms of the club itself, obviously they have years of experience and also they just, you know, the, the apparatus, the administration is, is a lot larger and, and they keep on doing, you know, more smart decisions than bad decisions. So, you know, their investments seem to pop up. I'm sure they also have things that don't work so well, but for example, like in, on merchandising, I think Bayern kills every other team around the world when it comes to merchandising. Like not shirt sales, like some of the more teams with the more global popular players still outdo them there. But in anything else, like from, I don't know, beer mugs to keychains to whatever you can possibly think of, I think they actually dominate the market. I didn't know that, like, because, um, you know, it's a big club, but if you're especially in the US, it's not like the biggest club. It's not the one that's always in your face. Um, no, but so, they were smart. Didn't they get the office in New York before like any other club? They did. Yeah, they're um, really smart with that stuff. 
I'm not sure if they did it before everybody else, but they've been here for a minute. They, I think they opened in 2015. So, but, but to, you know, but they, they learn in a pivot. Like, I think when they came here, I would assume they were probably also looking for, for making um, like commercial partnerships and stuff like that. Yep. But then you, you come to New York and you realize, you know, even if you're Bayern Munich or Real Madrid or Barcelona, people weren't waiting here for you. And especially in New York, like, mm -hmm. Look at the, the the Nets, you know, like world-class talent and whatnot. And I don't have to tell you as a Knicks fan, but, you know, they had to freaking fight, you know, to get their attention during the playoffs because the Knicks are playing and then there's the Yankees and then there's the Mets and then there's probably some concert and this and that. And that's during Corona right now. So yeah. this is a competitive market. And if you're not willing to, you know, come and meet that market, not even halfway, we actually, you actually have to go to the door and spoon feed people here with your stuff. Yeah, it's tough. It's tough to get any attention. And uh, look, as someone who's been a comedian here for 12 years, it's really tough to get people's attention. Uh, yeah, and the Nets are proving it. They've got three Hall of Fame players and a Hall of Fame player, former Hall of Fame uh, player as a coach, essentially. Who's also and, a decent soccer player. Yeah, incredible soccer player. And people could give a shit, you know? <laughs> like uh, This is still a Knicks town, but that, that goes to show you, like, the the you know the interest in wanting to come here and sort of create those commercial because where else are you going to go if you're looking to make commercial uh you know partnerships god yeah, but, so smart but 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 the thing is they un understanding then how hard it is actually is um they pivoted a little bit and started spoon feeding people and what i mean by that is they they focused on fan work you know on right. grassroots fan activities so they went to like Kansas City and, and brought the cup there and brought the mascot there and did something with like 30 people and they did something with 50 people here and then eventually grew it you know and I, I think that's incredibly smart because um, you know I've seen other clubs in the space like acting and um, yeah they get discouraged but I'm like well of course it's competitive because it's the biggest market like what do you expect a red carpet and everybody's like here's our billions go ahead no that's right. not how it works you know, there are there is so much money here because there's so much competition. So you need to roll up your sleeves and come up with an idea. And some clubs have done it and some clubs don't. And um, yeah, we'll we'll see how that goes um, with Dortmund and with our Arsenal. That does do they ever have? I feel like especially the Premier League in general, they're so spoiled from the NBC deal and NBC basically doing all the heavy lifting for them that that you just sort of like take it for granted. Dude, I, I got to be honest with you, like just looking at some of the inroads that like other clubs are making, like Ajax is trying really hard to get into the American market. I think a lot of the Premier League clubs sort of feel like that that head start they have because everything they do is in the language we speak. You know what I mean? So like there's really not that. But they still are only they're not the number one league in this country. You know, Liga IMX has has um, kind of a lockdown on, on uh, being number one in this country. But. That fight for number two, you know, Premier League just seems to feel like, well, they're here. I mean, there were more Premier League fans because it was readily on TV and it was popular on the Internet at the same time. So it's like and done well. Yeah. Yeah. And absolutely. And done very well. But they certainly aren't the only ones they don't have. You know, what I mean, they're not they're not the only ones that play good soccer. You know what I mean? So I think there's a, there's more than an ample opportunity. And you're seeing other clubs come in here. I know Eintracht Frankfurt just opened their, um, I believe it was during COVID or just before COVID, but they opened yeah. their office in New York. Like there's, there's other things happening. NWSL is making these inroads as well. So the, the idea that like Arsenal can kind of just sit back and just come here every once in a while for preseason is a little frustrating because it's like, you need to do more than that. You know what I mean? You need to be out there. And I think you're starting to see them communicate with the fan groups a little more. And hopefully that happens at a much bigger, bigger rate because you know, sometimes when we talk about Premier League, it doesn't have the same effect as you would imagine it has on the numbers. But if we talk about anything the women's team is doing here uh, in the U.S., our numbers shoot up. So it's, a, it's so funny to see. It's like you would imagine bringing up the Premier League would have a bit more significance just in that one little sample. Yeah, totally. I mean, you usually say, like, if you, if you don't do anything or if you just stand still, other people will, like, overtake you. And, mm -hmm. yeah. Um, Complacency kills. That's a better way to say it. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> it's always tricky when I have like freaking German proverbs popping in my head and I'm like, wait, right. this is a German one. Oh, now I have to translate it. I'm fucking that happens to me it. in Spanish sometimes and it does not translate. You know, yeah. not all of them translate. People are like, what the hell are you saying? I'm like, that makes sense in yeah. Spanish. In my mind, it worked. Wait, 
It, but it's like with English and German, they're, they're so closely, obviously English is a Germanic language, so they're closely related. So I don't necessarily sense the difference anymore, you know. Right. I don't, I, like if you ask me, what, what did you speak earlier? Was it German or English? I, I, I wouldn't be able to tell you because my brain just automatically kind right. of swept back and forth. I was impressed with how many people in Germany spoke English. It was like, oh, I could just walk around here speaking English and it won't be a problem. Um, the, the funny part is that that's also very German. Uh, I have that experience many times with like friends or whoever who don't speak German and, and get go there. And then they ask someone something uh, and they would reply with something like, oh, I'm sorry, I don't speak any English. <laughs> and the person is like, wait, you understood my question. Yeah. You answered me in English. Right. But you're saying I don't speak English. Hmm. But the German mentality is like, if I'm saying I speak a language, it means I, I like I, I have perfected it, you know. Right, right, right. I can, I I can a hold a conversation high... yeah. on a poet's level, you know, about quantum physics. Right. So I feel if I don't do that, I feel like you put me on the spot by asking me something where, that I'm not good at. Whereas like... I've met people, shoot, they know 10 words of something. and like, I speak French, I speak German. I'm like, uh, nope. <laughs> One of so. my favorite things about speaking to people in English and Germany is it's sarcasm is not just not, it, it, you guys know what sarcasm is. And again, this is a wild generalization. Uh, German people know what sarcasm is, but there is a absolute disdain for it. There is just a, but why would you waste words telling me something that isn't true because you think it's funny to say the opposite? Like they, they, there was like, there's just like more than one person who I met who was just like, huh? Like, you know, like why? Really? Yeah. It's so funny to me. And I think it's a cultural thing. I just, it's either a cultural thing or like you're a loud American. So you're probably like, you know what I mean? So this is funnier to you. It's funny. It's so funny to me. I feel like it's it, it might be contextual because I think sarcasm is very popular in Germany because it's very hard for a German to be complimentary or friendly, you know, to sing. So it's easier actually to certainly to there's self-deprecation de self also is very popular in Germany, yes, which is exactly. why which is why comedy works there. People like, oh, Germans don't laugh. It's like, nah, they they know enough to laugh at themselves. You know what I mean? And that's that's the first step of comedy. You gotta be able to laugh at yourself. Um, but even oh, yeah. like even like loose sarcasm or using it as a way to get out of a conversation. It's just like, it's just not a cultural thing in Germany. They're like, nah, bro, we don't act that way here. It's so funny to me. It's, it's probably true because like when you would engage there, I would assume, you know, people would sort of like devote their attention to you and, and, you know, try to meet their, meet you in their best English. Yeah. And, and then you just make like a derogatory comment or just like some blah statement. Which is out like, here joking around doing dumb yeah. shit. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And, and they're all like, and they want to like, get to know you and, and tell you, you know, personal stuff. And, you know, you're just like, bro, you know, whatever. And, yeah. then, and then the context don't align. Like, um, like I have that when, when we go over uh, with, with my wife, for example, she's just used to chit chat at the family table, but my family would ask her very, very detailed and long questions for hours and hours, you know, like, how's this, how's that, da, 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 da like really digging in and then she's looking at me like what is going on and i'm just like look this is we, we don't do um you know we don't do like blah chat here it's like yeah two hours of super intense um thing that's that's how they show appreciation like you know because otherwise right. it's like i wouldn't care like yeah you you're yeah. right they probably don't care too much for like a sly comment and and some you know uh, sort of like superficial small talk or something yeah like, yeah, yeah. That, no that's definitely something not. That people not good at they don't like so yeah. if they want to engage with you, they, they'll like hit you hard. Yeah. And they expect sort of the same thing back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And a lot of great conversations. Not a lot of great small talk. <laughs> <laughs> uh, hey, you know, you got to, you know, can't always have everything. Um, shoot. Wow. We, we, we're driving all over the place here from food to, to culture and talking. And, Buddy, and, and it's what I do. Yeah. A little ADD, you know. <laughs> <laughs> hey, that makes also for good conversations, I think. That's true. But I, I did want to talk about at least one uh, deal uh, that we had. And so that would be Aubameyang. Because mm -hmm. I feel like that's also um, something um, that, that kind of like was like a bit of a watershed moment in, in terms of Dortmund and maybe even in terms of Arsenal. Um, and here's why, why I think that. Because he was obviously a good player for us, you know, scored a lot of goals. 
But at the same time, Dortmund sort of plateaued in that time. You know, under Tuchel, they weren't really getting closer to Bayern, it seemed, and they weren't really getting anywhere. And, and like in big games, it also showed that seemed that Oba wasn't there. And the difference maker in 2017 when we won the cup was actually Dembele. Now, Oba was an important pillar of that team, but it didn't seem the team itself was like a really good unit. So, you know, if you, you need your chief to release people in, reel a Dembele in and set him straight at times. And if he doesn't do that, then it sort of like reflects poorly on the team. So I personally was not sad at all that he wanted to go. And I felt like he wanted to go because he wanted to earn more money and he wanted to live in a city where there's more cool stuff going on. And I mean, yeah, London and Dortmund is not a comparison. But right. that also showed me if that's what you want, then you're not about winning, even though he said he wants to go there and win. But they all say that. I think he wanted to go there and party and get paid handsomely. And I feel like that sort of put the nail in the coffin on this newish Arsenal culture in that day, which was like, you know what? We're going to pay big for you. And if you don't perform, well, we're still going to pay big for you because we, we don't know where we're really heading anymore. Do you feel it was like that? Or do you think, no, 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 he's untouchable. He's our man. I think we needed the Obama Yang. We both needed the Obama Yang transfer and we needed the Obama Yang re-signing. I know he had a, not a great year this year, but I think you needed both of those situations. And I think it was that to show that you're um, interested in, in, in getting to the higher level. You know, that you're, there's a word uh, that the English love to use that I can't think of right now, but um, you know, that you're, it's like, um, ah, I'll think of it in a second. Um, but it's like, uh, if you look back, first of all, it was the Dortmund uh, GM. I can't remember the guy's name. They call, they, the Lots nickname was, was it Diamond Eyes, right? They called him because he was able to, to see like talent. That was his nickname, Diamond Eyes. Uh, he brought in uh, Mkhitaryan and, uh, and Obama Yang. So trying to rebuild that, what they had at Dortmund um, at Arsenal. And also Socrates. Yeah. Oh, God damn it. Um, clearly didn't work. Okay. Uh, and he ended up getting fired, I think, pretty soon after that. But uh, when you look at bringing in someone like Arsenal, it sort of kind of closed the chapter on the Robin Van Persie thing. You know, Robin Van Persie writing a letter to, to Wenger asking to leave and saying the things that he said about Manchester United. You know, the little boy inside me said, oh, uh, go to Manchester United. And then winning the league at Manchester United, that puts such a, we could not hold onto our biggest names. So we needed to do something. Alexis Sanchez didn't really do it. Mesut Ozil kind of started. Once the Mesut Ozil deal uh, kind of came, we were like, whoa. We're buying a player from Real Madrid. Last few years, we would just be sending players to Real, to Real Madrid. And at a discount, we wouldn't even be able to really hold them for a lot. But, and then, and then Aubameyang comes and we're like, this is a player that wanted to go to Real Madrid and was talked about as being linked with Real Madrid. And he's coming to Arsenal. So there was like that thing of like, maybe we're back. You know what I mean? But let me ask you this then. Uh -huh. In the times when you were sending players to Real Madrid, don't you think that Arsenal was actually playing better, performing better, and a better team than sure. um, afterwards? Yeah, we were playing better and we were performing better. But that's also, you forget, that's, that's the Wenger era. There was like a level of expectation during the Wenger era. And we've been, we're going through the same thing that kind of United went through after Sir Alex Ferguson, which is like, what do you do when a, when a, when a historical legend leaves the club? What do you do when a 20-plus-year manager leaves the club? You kind of got to start from scratch. You know, some people are finally going to, you know, they're going to slip a little bit. Like, he had complete control of the whole club. So did we perform better? Absolutely. We made Champions League, what, 15 years in a row, if I'm not mistaken, 14 or 15 years in a row? Like, that's, that's an incredible deal. But what happens after that? It's like, you know, managers are going to come in, and they're going to have their plan. And we're like, you know, we're not going to do what he did anymore. Right. And you saw like with Unai Emery, it didn't work exactly because he was like, we're going to switch it up. We're going to do this. But in that moment where you bring in an Obama Yang and you bring in um, an Ozil, there's that feeling, especially towards the end of Wenger's, uh, you know, uh, reign. There's that feeling like, oh, we're trying something different. We're not doing the same thing we would normally do. The yeah. league has moved on from what he changed in the 90s. So we're trying something different. And I still think Obama Yang was one of those pieces, a lot like Mesut Ozil, when you bring him in. It's kind of a sign. It's a shot across the bow of other clubs. You're like, hey, man, we're still here. We've got money. We're willing to spend it. And hopefully this leads to other players wanting to come. And I think with Obama Yang, 
you started you started to see i don't know that it worked out but you started to see the perception of arsenal change a little bit from oh they used to be a great team to like wait a minute maybe they're not going to go away so easy turns out we did uh but maybe they're not going <laughs> to go away so easy no, I mean, I think you make a fair point. I do think there's a, there's a symbolic normative power from these transfers, you know, um, because at the end of the day, we all think this is such a elaborate business, but then, you know, but then you see things like the Super League and you get reminded, no, actually, that's, that's only a very few people that make very human and very, um, yeah, fault-ridden sometimes decisions. It's, it's, it's quite a superstitious bunch too, you know? Yeah. So, so in this Look, when, sense, here's something I want everyone to know. Like, whenever you get to something... And then you find out, you peek behind the curtain and you get to see the people who run stuff. They're all idiots. <laughs> Everyone is stupid. Everyone, all of us. They don't know what they're doing as much as we don't know what we're doing. And we also, as much as we don't know what they're doing. You know what I mean? Like, not, it's like no one gets to a certain level because they know exactly what they're doing. People get to a certain level because they sort of stayed the longest or they worked the hardest to get there. And hopefully the people in those positions make the right choices, right? Like, People saw what we had as a president for four years in this country, right? Sometimes an idiot makes it to a position they don't belong in, you know what I mean? And the people around them prop them up. And I think that's the same thing that happens in these front offices. Sometimes these folks are just around these teams long enough and that they kind of get into a position. Other people leave and they somehow manage their way up. And, you know, you get up there and you're like, Super League? Who thought of that? You know, <laughs> you're like, why? You know, so come on, everyone, everyone's dumb. Some, some people have just more power than others. That's a way to put it. I mean, yeah, I, I honestly think that a lot of people assume that um, who aren't rich or powerful, that if you are rich or powerful or both, that you must be like, that there's something to it, that you must be smarter because they're not. But as you said, that might just be a case of inheritance or, you know, right place, right time, or just, you know, a, a privileged sort of like group of people that is, uh, you know, hard to penetrate from the outside. Uh, and yeah. um yeah. Charisma gets you a lot of places. Trust me, folks. <laughs> you could be pretty stupid and have pretty good charisma and you'll get a TV show about soccer. <laughs> How would you end up here then? You know, talking yeah. to me if charisma gets you that far. <laughs> Come on, buddy. You got it too. The German self-depreciation right here. Of course. That's why we, this is why we get along, Tilo. <laughs> That's so. Uh, I'm, I'm going to dig in one more into Aubameyang because my problem with him was that he was obviously, you know, a great player. And honestly, I think he was a better player at Dortmund than he is now, even though now he's in the Premier League with the bigger media platform where people mm -hmm. took notice. But he was much faster five, six years ago, which is, you know, which was a big part of his game. But right. the thing that annoyed me most is like, even though when people were like, oh, he's a good guy and, you know, he's actually a good leader and stuff like that. I feel like he's the kind of leader, yeah, that, that gives everyone, I don't know, a pair of beats, you know. He's right. like, the, he wants to have fun. So he's there when it's fun and when it's like gifts and, and, and doing fun stuff and taking people out for eat, for fooding and for fooding, for eating. Right. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> and that's all cool and giggles, but you also need someone, if it's not going great, that steps in and says like, Hey, what you're doing is wrong and you need to get in line. And I also don't think that he necessarily always pushes himself to the limit. So um, Look, I think in Arsenal's past, William Gallus was a great player. The moment he became captain, it just wasn't his personality. And it actually made him a worse player. And I think that's what's happening with Obama Yang. I think Obama Yang is a leader in the sense that he's the cool one. Everybody yeah. wants to be his friend. He wants everyone to be his friend. Exactly. He wants to have a good time. He's a positive guy. He wants everyone around him to be lifted up. So you would think in your head, like, yeah, that makes a good leader. It's like, nah, you need someone like a Kieran Tierney or um, a Boyak, uh, Bokai Osaka who... When when things get rough, like kind of are like, no, you go stand over there and don't do that thing again. Come on, boys, let's get it. Like has positive, but has a bit more of a th an authority figure to them. And I know Sock is a kid, but I could start to see that developing in him. And I think when you look at Obama Yang, I feel like he would be happier and a better player. Certainly, he's not going to get the pace back. I, and I still think he's an incredibly fast player, but I, he's not going to get that breakneck speed back. He's a little bit older, but I do think he's going to kind of give himself a little bit of freedom, kind of like what Neymar gets when he plays with the national team. It's like people just kind of get away from him when he has the ball. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. not let him do his thing. I think you'll see that with Obama Yang when you have less expectations on him. But I completely agree with you. Yeah, he was a better player back then. Still could be a great scorer. And I think we see that. He just needs to get his form back. And he got, a, you know, he might be a little slower, but he's still fast to your point. And yeah. he got smarter. 
So that's yes. also, you know, he, he makes better decisions here and there so that experience can also um, level that out a little bit. But yeah, I think that's, that's exactly the impression I had of him. Like he wants to be friends with everyone and everyone wants to do his, you know, be his friend. Yep. And I think that sometimes when push comes to shove, that might be more important to him than actually doing what's best for the team in that moment. Like, you know, just keeping, keeping a positive relationship instead of like actually breaking something open and having a confrontation. And if you need to, and you know, Dortmund was in that space and I feel like Arsenal is in a similar space. If you need to break something open because you're plateauing or even moving backwards, then right. yeah, you need that guy who's not afraid to take on these challenges and, and, and be able to speak with these people, but also be respected by these people. Because if, you, if it's just a guy yelling at people, but nobody takes him serious, you're not accomplishing anything either. Right. So, so yeah, like, yeah, I fully agree. I think if you would strip him um, of the gear and he would probably mope about it, you know, he'd probably be, um, because that's not being friends with everyone. If, if somebody says you can't be the captain of Arsenal anymore, I think he likes being the captain. He likes the shine and the stuff that comes with it. Right. But shoot, you know, if he'll come around and that's something, yeah, like that, that was lacking at Dortmund at that time. And, and we're still also here and there trying to figure out, you know, becoming a little bit more consequential in everything that we do. And I feel like Arsenal is in a similar spot. So I didn't mind it too much. And also we never had a problem finding a striker from, from Barrios to Lewandowski to Aubameyang to Paco to even Batshuay for a moment that worked really well to now Haaland. That has never been an issue for Dortmund. No, you guys get, you guys find uh, what we call someone is a bucket. When someone scores a lot in basketball, yeah. we say they're a bucket. You guys seem to have a, a czar of bucket making over there. You guys are a bucket factory. And we have baby bucket coming up right now in Mukuku. Yeah? Yeah. You think he's going to be a superstar? Oh, yeah. I think he's going to be better than Holland. That's which That's... is why I'm not even sweating the Holland thing. Like, I mean, he's going to at least stay the year. Two would be ideal because that's a better timeline for Mukuku. But once he's ready to leave, um, so, you know, I have no uh, worries. Like, I think Mukuku is the future of Dortmund and he's the future of the German national team. Like, I mean, you know, unless he gets injured and yada, yada, yada. But on the, sure, tra yeah. the trajectory he's on right now, I mean, he's 16 when he, like 16 in a day or so when he scores his first goal. Haaland himself said he wasn't close to as far mentally and, and you know, on the pitch as, uh, as Mukuku is. I mean, some would still say mentally he's not anywhere near as far as a 15-year-old. That kid might be a little bit of a head case. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I'm interested to see this guy then. Uh, you know, I've heard I've heard some things that there's, like, a great score. I didn't know it was Mukuku. Uh, but, dude, I can't wait. I mean, if you're not worried that Holland is leaving, if, if Arsenal had Holland and he was leaving, it would be pandemonium in the streets. You know, there'd be burning signs in front of uh, the Emirates. So well, if you're not worried, then, damn, this kid must be good. Yeah, I mean, like I said, I know he's not leaving the summer. Um, and he might stay another year. Like that that clause, if that really exists, that's still like a big myth too. Um, I haven't I haven't found it in any reliable source that I trust on this issue. Right. But anyway, um, either way, and we might even just pull a Lewandowski and say, screw the whatever money that is. We'll we'll keep him to his contract and lose him on a free transfer because it's more important for us to have the quality in the team right now and have us develop. But I think that's that's gonna be like a year-by-year year decision like where are we are we close to doing something you know where we really need him this extra five percent or are we comfortable and sort of like giving up i mean you always have to make these decisions but at the end of the day everybody you know loses players i mean yeah barcelona lost neymar they didn't want to let neymar go right couldn't hold on to him the same thing with took, chelsea money back chelsea lost hazard he didn't want 200 million it <laughs> took 200 yeah. million uh dollars but yeah they lost them yeah i mean but they you know at the end of the day they lose them you know yeah Real Madrid had to let go of, of Ronaldo, you know. I mean, they were actually smart about it and sold him when he was still worth something. Unless yeah. Barcelona now doing Messi where it's like, guys, like, this guy's not 150 million worth anymore. No, should let him go. Yeah, like, I mean, he's he's basically having taken your hostage for the last couple of years and you wonder why you're not moving anywhere. Mm -hmm. um, but different topic. Um, bro, I think we cut it here. I know we could talk for another hour and I wanted to talk about you with, like, European clubs and MLS and how that all goes together. And, you know, we just got to do another episode then. Exactly. So maybe we'll find some more time and talk about that because I do find that also very interesting, that relationship, you know, because some people are like, how can you support the MLS? You yeah. know, if, if you support something like ours, uh, a club like Arsenal and da, 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 da. so I feel like that's a very interesting topic, you know, in general, like the soccer culture in the US, because 
you know, like it or not, MLS is a very big part of the soccer culture here. And if yep. you're listening to this podcast, chances are you're part of the soccer culture as well. So you need yep. to deal with it. Yeah. Yeah. It ain't going anywhere as much as some people would love it to. Yeah. All right. Alexis, thank you so much. And I hope, you know, to have you back soon. And uh, we pick this up then. All right, buddy. Can't wait. Thank you for listening. This is Believe in Borussia presented by Bet Online. Make sure to follow Alexis and the Cooligans on Twitter, on Twitch, and check out their show on Fubo TV. It's funny, it's informative, it's heartfelt, and it's really good. And of course, also don't forget to follow us, leave a review on Apple Podcasts. We would really appreciate it. Until the next episode, a black and yellow shout out across America. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.